0: Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. We've been in a series called Stronger. And uh, you're going to see my subtitle there, and you're going to think, "What is that about?" Because we've been celebrating God's miracles. We've been singing about being a house of miracles. We believe this. We love just how God moves powerfully. We welcome Him to do so. It's actually one of our values: is that we believe in signs and wonders following believers. Signs and wonders that cause people signs that cause people to wonder at the goodness of God. Um, this is what the buckets are going to do, even as they sent out. But today I want to speak about how we can be strengthened in moments when we don't see the miracle, we don't see the instant, because let me encourage you that God is working even when we don't see the outworking of it instantly. So we're going to jump in there. And so Father, I just thank you for grace, just your presence to be with us, that you minister even where I might go left or right, but you always hit the mark. And I pray that if we came in here happy, Lord, we're going to leave full of joy, Joy that's not determined by happenings, but joy that gives us strength to be a happening for heaven on earth. I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, so we're speaking about um, Stronger. That's the series. And if you remember, about two weeks ago, I spoke about um, the strength to do hard things. Do you remember? I said a line, something like this. If it were easy... You guys need to be, come on, be with me here. If it's easy, everyone would do it. But there's some hard things that men and women of God are called to do. It's not for everyone. It's when God's hand is upon us in that thing. Don't worry. I'm going to be culturally relevant, just like Top Gun 2 that's come out. If you are joining for the second part, you don't have to go and watch part one to understand what's going on. I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard that It's great. And uh, I'm going to put it as a date night sometime, but we haven't got there. Um, But we're going to be looking at strength and how God strengthens us. And with Paul, we saw he went through amazing times of just enduring through hard things for God. And God moved powerfully. We saw miracles in his situation, but we also saw times where he had to navigate these hardships. And God didn't part the waters, but he gave him the strength to navigate the waters. Sometimes he was actually buoying in the waters for two or three days as he was shipwrecked. And I want to pick up a little bit more, because as Leanne said, and she didn't really know what I was sharing into today, I mean, we've been through some hard times. I mean, if you live where I live, I mean, we never had water for the whole of yesterday. That's a hard time. Um, If you get too close to me, you will recognize the smell of that, and it'll be a hard thing for you as well. There's hard times. Julian and Katia send their love. If you know Julian and Katia, they were with us for a number of years, and they planted into Boston. And they went there, and they they know God's called them there. They've experienced blessing. But in the midst of that, there's hard times. And so they bought this home, and they uh, were ready to move in. They were on a ministry trip that same weekend, and some water pipe burst and it's just covered everything. And I spoke to them and I said, how are you feeling? And they said, we know more than ever we call called to be here because the hard times don't deter men and women of God. They don't intimidate us, but we are aware of them and we know that we're called to overcome them. And I believe God is calling us as men and women of God to be brilliant at doing the hard things for God. I'm not talking about working out our own hardships, things that we place upon ourselves and others put in our way or that the enemy tries to trip us up with. I'm talking about navigating the hard things because we see the promise beyond the challenge, the promise in God. And so how do we do these hard things? Maybe God's encouraging you. Maybe He's challenging you just to upskill in your business and your studies. Maybe He's encouraging you to start a new business. Maybe He's speaking to you about working on your marriage and Getting involved in your kids' lives as they're becoming teenagers and entering adulthood. Maybe he's challenging you just in general relationships to improve them. You know, that can be, um, that, those can be hard things to do. But God is calling us to do that. And how do we do it? So I want to look at Nehemiah. That's who we're going to look at today. And it's a brilliant book on leadership. It's great for self-leadership. If you are a leader in the marketplace, there are excellent traits that we can pick out. He was a phenomenal leader. And I want to look at how he was strengthened to do hard things and why we've called this strength when there are no miracles. We'll see in Nehemiah's stories, there are no evident miracles. There's no manifesting of a moment where something changes dramatically. But God is working through it all. And so that's why we're going to look at this today. We don't see it like with Moses or with Elijah, or as we had seen a few weeks ago with Gideon, where maybe um, with Moses, as God speaks out the burning bush and says, Moses, this is what I'm calling you to. There's no thus saith the Lord for Nehemiah. But Nehemiah catches something of God's heart and his purpose and his calling and his endeavor. And he gets involved with that. And so that's what I want us to see. It's a story of ordinary people connecting to an extraordinary God and doing amazing things for the kingdom, no matter what they're faced with. And so this is a great word for us today. And so we're going to just read a few verses. Um, I'm going to put it on the screen, so don't worry about jumping around there. And, And what is what I'm hoping will come to us is that we won't just sit back and be waiting for God to do something. I want us to be front footed. It's easy to sit back and think, well, Lord, you know, I'm going to wait on you to just break through this or break open that or to make a way and I'm just waiting on you when the Lord says, no, I'm waiting on you to, to take hold of my word and my promises and my principles, to take hold of the person of, and the presence that I'm with you and to actually get up and to start moving into that which I'm called to. And we we love that. Some of that will be the miracle moment. Even as Lloyd said, we take hold of the word and there can be that miracle in the moment, but we're not afraid to have faith to see the miracle through the process as well. There's a faith within us. No matter what, God is good. He's going to move powerfully and miraculously. And I'm going to have strength to do hard things even when I don't see the miracle now. But I know it's going to be a miraculous outworking if he's calling me to it. And so... Really what I'm saying is sometimes God's heart is not to do just the miracle for you, but he's wanting to do the miracle through you so that you become a blessing for others. Nehemiah 2 verse 11. Let's jump in. I went to Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah speaking. This is where we're going to glean some of these things. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So it's not like burning bush where the Lord calls out. It's not like with Gideon when the angel pitches up. But what happens here with Nehemiah in this moment is that God says something, but he says it softly, he says it subtly, and he speaks a seed into Nehemiah's heart. And the seed is the thing that propels him. It's in the secret of his heart, the seed, and it propels him into doing hard things when there are no miracles, but God's going to get the glory. And so sometimes it's not the loud and the the bold and the brash, but sometimes it's that softly, subtly spoken word in the secret place of your heart that's going to propel you into everything God has in his purpose for you. And so it's to look and to wait expectantly on that, where the ordinary people connect with an extraordinary God to see uh, amazing things happen, as I said earlier. So we see this taking place here, that we see that the miracle hasn't, uh, there's been no miracles in the moment, but there's this, this ability in Nehemiah to say, no, I'm going to hold on to this word that you've spoken. And, and I, I love these sort of miracles. I love what I heard today with Stu, that you share it in the second about your, you being healed, anxiety and your back instantly as well. We heard that with, uh, heard that with Lloyd, and I, I love those moments. But what I also love seeing is the miracles that take place through faithful. Walking with the Lord. I like to call that phrase the while you walking miracles. They happen as you're walking it out. It's like the road to Emmaus. When they realized something miraculous had happened, they never saw it or knew they were in a miracle. But as they look back and they realize they journeyed with Jesus, something miraculous had happened. And that's some of our stories here. And many times we find ourselves in the place that we're waiting for the miracle to manifest before we start walking. But it's in the walking and doing the hard thing that it triggers the miracle to happen. So I trust that faith will be provoked in your hearts. And we can see this with John the Baptist. Jesus says he was the greatest man born of woman. Now, we're born of the Spirit, not just of woman. So we know that there are kingdom possibilities that are available to us that John the Baptist never walked in. And that's why he was the greatest born of woman, but the least in the kingdom is more than he. But here's the thing with John the Baptist that we need to be aware of. John the Baptist, in being the greatest born of woman in that time, he was doing a hard thing. He was preparing the way for Jesus. That's a hard work. It's a good work. It's a hard work because he was in a religious culture. He was in a politicized regime. And in the midst of that, he is preparing a way for someone that um, all of them want to wipe out. And here's the thing. He never experienced a miracle. John the Baptist never experienced a miracle. We don't even know if he saw a miracle. The miracles were reported to him when he was in prison, and he was on the way out at that moment. But it says of him he was the greatest. Why? Because he had this ability that Jesus defines in John 20, verse uh, 29, when he says, blessed are those who have never seen but still believe. He's saying John the Baptist never saw the miracle, but he still believed, and he still had faith in his heart that God was going to do miraculous things through him. And so there's something to be gleaned here for us. And so as we read this story, there are really two words that define the broader context of what's happening. And when you look at this, the first thing I want to pull out when we look at these words is this, Nehemiah was abruptly, right at the start of this, he was presented with concern. The first word I want to bring is concern. Let's read Nehemiah 1 verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Watch this, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. It was the concern of it all. It just enveloped him. He was caught up in this concern. And the concern is the thing that you're concerned about. (laughs) You'll know what that is. Maybe you're concerned about um, the All Blacks at this precise time and their rugby results. Maybe you're concerned about your marriage. Maybe you're concerned about your finances. Maybe you're concerned about your career. Maybe you're concerned about your health. Maybe you're concerned about your city. I I, I don't know what you're concerned about, but really we, we all carry these things and it's important. This concern is something we need to not hide away from, but we need to take hold of because it's the concern that is going to compel us to that thing that Christ is calling us to. It's the concern that compels us. It's the concern that urges you to do the hard things. It's doing something in you, working something in you. It's like Mother Teresa saying, I'm not going to step over one more destitute person while I'm on my way to work. I'm going to make it my life's work to stop and serve them. You see, the concern compelled her. And if you don't have a concern for it, then you'll never consider doing it if it's a hard thing. And there's something that when you have this concern, what it starts to do when we embrace and recognize this concern that we're carrying, it starts to shape something in us that we get a vision and we start to establish values and we start to get on mission because we know that we are compelled to see something shift. we compelled to see some things overcome. we compelled to deal with some challenges. And so it starts to work deeply within us. And that's what's happening with Nehemiah in verse four. And we see his response. We see he weeps. And, and here's the thing, when you have a concern, before you go and tell everyone else, I had concerns about water, I shared it yesterday when I didn't have it to anyone that would listen. I had concerns about some of the springbok selection, and I shared that, shared that with everyone that would listen. Uh, we, we have concerns, and so we go and share that and do things in various places. But here in verse 4, with him having this concern, the very next sentence says this. It says, for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. His response and his concern wasn't to try and run and fix the walls. He had a concern for that, but it didn't direct him there. It directed him before the feet of his God. And he goes and he prays and he fasts. And so it brings him to that place. And and Rich was encouraging me earlier this week that maybe um, we need to look at fasting. I think he might have started because I see he's got some oil on his head and he's looking very radiant today. Um, (laughs) But I wasn't as keen as Rich was, and I was trying to shy away from it, But um, because if fasting were easy, everyone would do it. But here's the thing, we don't have to fast, we get to fast, and delight in feasting on everything that we have in Him and taking our eyes off every distraction, and there's a power in fasting, and so he goes, first thing is this, my my, my concern is going to compel me to come before the feet of Jesus, and he fasts and he prays, so that's the first thing, you have a concern, where do you go with your concern? Here's the second thing, when you have a concern, you need to be ready for this, when you have a concern, you are going to be presented with a conflict, when there's something that means something to you, and and it urges something in you and compels something in you and shapes vision and values and, and starts to look at setting you on mission, there's going to be things that are going to want to conflict. Stop, halt, stall, get in the way of and keep you from accomplishing that. And that's what conflict is. Number two, conflict is the thing. Sorry, oh, there we go. Yes. Conflict is the thing that keeps you from doing the hard thing. It's the thing that's going to keep you from doing the hard thing that you know you're called to do, that Nehemiah had in his heart. Conflict is the what-if but if I do that, what if that happens? And if I do that, what if they say this? And if I do that, what, what will the working be? And so we get waylaid in the process. And every concern finds this point of conflict. And the conflict, as I said, wants to keep you from, from stepping into that hard thing and doing it, from making the bold move. And so we're not going to focus on concerns today. Because uh, let me tell you, if I handed it around a sheet... I think I would have done the first uh, 17 lines before you get to write down your concerns. You don't need me to tell you what concerns they have. You probably woke up or didn't sleep last night rolling through the concerns. Where are you taking them and what are you going to do with them? That's the thing we need to discover. So what I want to speak to today is the conflict, because it's the conflict that's going to keep you from doing that hard thing that you're called to do, that God is wanting us to do. I think all this maze is getting me that's uh, surrounding this building. I'm not blaming you, Stu. I'm just uh, praying for my healing. So that, 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 <laughs> that's what caused the conflict, stops us. And with Nehemiah, the conflict could, could have intimidated them and caused them to withdraw and to never start. So I want to look at five things that we can see in this story that are going to strengthen us to do hard things, even when we don't see the miracle in the moment, but we know God's working powerfully through it. Five things to expect. And um, you might, as you listen to this, you might find that you are in the middle of a hard thing. And you're just thinking, I don't know how to go forward, and I don't know how to continue, and I can't see the wood for the trees. I just, I don't know where to go from here. Or you might be feeling that you have a concern and that you're compelled to start a hard thing, but you're intimidated and you're thinking, I don't know where to start. Let's read Nehemiah 4, verse 6 to 8, if we can put it on the screen. Says this. So we built the wall till all of it reached half its height. It's kind of like the people that were here working. We see all these uh, these buckets are at half height. And it says we built the wall till all of it reached half height. Half height. For the people worked with all their heart, so they were working. It says other versions say with all of their mind. They were fully committed. Then it says in verse seven. Oh, so- These aren't tissue. This is abrasive. Sweetie, won't you give me some? I've got tender nostrils. You know this. Won't you give me some? Help me, sweetie. The soft double plough. Thank you. Where was I? The hard things. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Six verse eight. Okay, but then verse 7, it says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls, walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they got angry. I mean, pause here for a moment. This is when they're starting to get angry. Not when the work was started. Not when the people initially were wholehearted in their approach to doing this. Not necessarily when Nehemiah even had the concern. But it was at this moment. When did the enemy get mad? It's when they were half done when they were halfway along the process. When do you normally want to give up? It's when you're halfway. You know, I know I've got to lose 20 kilograms and I've lost tw- 10 kilograms, but before I continue to lose the other 10, I want to celebrate this moment with cake. You know, we, it's, it's the halfway is when we want to give up. And, and the enemy does that because he takes note that you're not just talking about it now. You're not just thinking about it now. You're not just saying, hey, wouldn't it be great? Or we could, or uh, imagine if. It's actually that you've got intent. You've actually got, your heart is actually starting to work out. It's not just being worked in. As you start to build something, and he sees it, and he thinks, no, we've got to do something here. And he doesn't only get bothered, he gets angry. But let me tell you, it's an underlying anger because it's based on fear with what's being done and how he's going to be affected. And so something's happening here in the enemy because of what's happening. So the first thing is this. We can read it in verse 8. Here's the first thing we need to expect. They all plotted together. They're angry. They all plot together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. The first thing that you can expect is trouble. Now, I know that you are super encouraged about that, and I could leave it right there. But let me work a little bit deeper. This is important because when you are concerned, you need to expect trouble to come. So that that thing in you, that urge to do something, doesn't get halted and stopped in that place. You're always going to meet conflict when you're carrying a kingdom concern. And the reason that we're addressing this is not because I want you to dread it, but because I want you to be prepared for it. I want there to be an expectation in you that is a preparation, that I'm not just an expectation, but I'm expecting action. I'm not waiting for that to happen to me. I'm ready, I'm armed, and I'm dangerous to hit the moment and my heart is prepared, my mind is prepared, my relationships are prepared with me, I'm prepared in my emotions, I can face this thing, because I am doing a significant work. I'm doing a hard work. And so that's why we look at this. And uh, when, we, when we speak about this, if, if there are areas in your life, and I say this quite gently, maybe not in tone, but in my heart I'm saying it quite gently, that you are not having any problems, then maybe the enemy doesn't have any problems with that, those areas either. There's areas in your life that he's not troubling you. Maybe that area of your life is not really troubling him. So we need to look at this, and we need to start to discover what is it that God is calling us to step out on, and what is it that's of value, because when you start to build something of value, the enemy wants to attack it, because if it's worth you building, it's worth them attacking. That's how he reasons this thing. I'm not trying to get you scared. I'm trying to get you prepared. There's a difference in how we approach this and position ourselves in faith, and so we see this happening, and just to give a little bit of context back, Nehemiah's walked into this situation, and I'm going to show why this happens, and two we can put it on the screen, actually. It's in 2 Kings 25, verse 8. And it's speaking about this moment where um, Nebuchadnezzar comes and he invades Jerusalem. It says, On the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard and official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he set fire to the temple of the Lord. He could have set fire to anything in the city, but he sets fire to the temple of the Lord first, the royal palace And all the houses of Jerusalem, every important building he burned, he only attacked the important ones why do you think today that culture is attacking marriage and it's attacking identity and attacking gender and attacking the origination of when life is consummated? And there's this attack on these things that are valuable, that matter. It's because the enemy attacks important things. Verse 10, and the whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. There was significance there. So, So there's damage being done to that which is important. Um, let's go back to Top Gun and get you back onto the story with me and get your attention. I think in Top Gun 1, which I've watched, he was flying F-14 Tomcats. I don't know what he's flying in uh, Top Gun 2. I haven't seen it. But I have heard this account from a a fighter pilot of F-16s. And he said this. Someone asked him, well, how do you know if you're on mission and effective in what you're doing? He says, we know we're on mission and where we're meant to be when we're taking enemy fire. That doesn't concern us. It doesn't put us in fear. This is exactly what we're here for. This is what we train for. This is what this um, aircraft is built for. This is what we're geared at. And we know when we're taking any fire, we are exactly on the mission of where we need to be. And so when trouble, trouble starts happening around us, I want to encourage you, maybe you're onto something. But how do you approach it? Julian and Katia, our friends in Boston, they could look at this and think, oh, well, it's time to pull up because it hasn't gone easy it's, 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 it hasn't been a, just a smooth sailing. You know, our home, we were getting it built, but there's been an attack, so maybe we're not meant to be here. No, they had a word in their hearts that they went with, and it's a hard thing, but they're not caught up in the moment and the circumstance and the happening. They're caught up in what God is wanting to happen through them, and so they've got an ability to stay the course. And maybe you're in that place where you're trying to be a good steward of your money, and the geezer goes, and the car battery goes, and whatever else starts to go. Well, maybe that's a sign that you're doing what you're meant to be doing. Maybe you're in the place where you've decided, I really want to step out and serving my spouse well. And in the midst of that moment, you're finding that maybe they're not receiving it as you would like them to receive it or showing that sort of affection back. But you need to keep serving and doing what seems like the hard thing. Because the enemy comes and he attacks us in the vulnerable moment. But Nehemiah shows us how to respond. Verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a God day and night to meet this threat. Turn to someone next to you and say, and. Now turn to the. And I'm going to maximize that moment. Okay. We prayed to our God and posted to God day and night to meet this threat. It was prayed and posted. It was doing something in the supernatural, but doing something in the natural at the same time. And the problem with us often is that we do either or. We find ourselves that either, you know, I'm going to just work so hard. I'm going to make this happen. Uh, look, I'm wholehearted. I've got it to halfway up. But we don't think to pray and ask God what he thinks. Or we're in the other place where all we're going to do is we're going to pray, pray, pray. And someone says, Hey, there's this job opportunity. No, I can't come. I'm praying for a job from the Lord. You know, he, he, and so it's this, it's this either or, but we can do both. You can pray for your marriage and you can date your spouse. You can pray for your new career and you can start to add to yourself and upskill yourself by studying. You can pray for healing and you can go to the doctor, medical professionals who God has gifted with the grace to be able to treat ailments that come. God is the great physician, even as he is the great shepherd. I'm an under shepherd and there are physicians under him that have been given grace. We can go to them as well. And you pray for mental stability. That is wonderful, but you can also, and you can go to a counselor who 's skilled in helping you with those things and it 's important that we start to see the end in these moments that when we do the hard things, we expect conflict, but that we are in this place where we pray and I love that what it says there it says we posted a God day and night to to meet the threat uh, let me let me say this it 's pray and post, and i 'm not speaking about praying. I'm praying, it's praying and posting something to meet the threat, not cause the threat. So what I'm saying is I'm not talking about posting on social media. Some, some of us run to social media to post when there's a moment of conflict and that is gonna create hard things you're not meant to walk through. No, it's talking about strengthening areas in our life that might be weakened. We're gonna see that in a moment. Verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Jerusalem Sorry, meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Number two, if you're doing hard things, you can expect exhaustion. They were wiped out. They had been using, building wholeheartedly. And now they get to a place where they see so much rubble around them, they're exhausted. They can't work anymore. And here's the thing that we, we see here. The enemy has done nothing yet. There's only been rumors of what the enemy might do, but they are physically exhausted. And a lot of the time we think that we are physically exhausted, but actually we are just emotionally drained. You can take a holiday and you still wake up and fatigue because the truth is you're not sleeping at night. You've got things running through your mind all the time. And it's this combination of physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, um, emotional, and it's all hitting us. And this is what the enemy does. He he sets these ploys into motion. And why we're looking at this and why we need to expect exhaustion is because we can expect it, we can plan for it, and we can get ahead of it. I told you about when I'd been in um, uh, the Grand Canyon. And when I came, I mean, the Grand Canyon, I said, it's like you come to the edge and it's a sheer drop, sheer. I mean, Leanne says I just stiffened up. I was like a board. I mean, literally, there was a path here. I I wouldn't go over the left-hand side of the path. I was trying to model to her what wisdom looked like in in art working. But I love this phrase because it says, this is the plan in getting ahead of it. This is what we do. We build a guardrail at the top of the mountain rather than a hospital at the bottom of it. I would have loved at the Grand Canyon if they had built a guardrail at the top of it, so I wouldn't need a hospital at the bottom of it. And and really, that's what getting ahead of it is. It means we plan for it. We plan vacations. We don't just plan vacations so we can recover from what's behind. We plan vacations so we can prepare for running in the season ahead. We're getting ahead of this thing. So what we do is we we take a Sabbath rest. And I'm not talking about a religious rest. I'm talking about a rest where we realize that we need rejuvenation, refreshing, and that our Sabbath, our rest is in Christ. But Christ sometimes wants us to rest with him and not just to strive and to run around conjuring up all these things that we think that we should be doing. And so you need to be intentional about getting physical rest. You need to be intentional about getting emotional rest. You need to be intentional about giving yourself a mental rest so that you can make good decisions and you're not fatigued in your choices. You need to find a day during the week when you turn the email off. You need to find a day when you turn the phone off, when you're not being bombarded and harassed continually by the frantic speed of which everyone needs your attention so desperately. And you, you need to do this because we expect exhaustion. Verse 11, Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will, this is the heavy part, we will kill them and we will put an end to the work. So they're serious here, these enemies. That's what they're wanting to do. It's John 10.10, Rob, kill, destroy. Verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. How's that? This is the... So the enemy knows, if I can't get at you, I'm, I'm getting so worked up in this. I want to kill this thing. I want to end it. So if I can't come at you directly, I'm going to come at you through those closest to you. And I start to not, because I can't get fear into you, I'm going to cause fear around you. And so what happens is those people around start to come and say, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And so Nehemiah is in this, this place where he, those that are closest to him are turning against him and fearing him and doubting him. And so here's where it moves from just exhaustion to becoming a mental battle. Point number three, you need to expect a mental battle. We've seen this this weekend. If you've been watching the rugby, you've seen some mental poise at work. I believe, in. yes, I'm biased. I know Irish eyes are smiling in the, in the church today. That's an old Irish song, John Jennings always tells me. Just trying to be relevant. <laughs> um What was it? I'm biased, okay. So uh, I believe that the Northern Hemisphere have this as part of their game strategy, where they actually select players based on mind games rather than ball skills. Well, listen, some of them are skilled. Mind, uh, Mind games rather than their ball game. I mean, you look at the Irish flanker, and the Irish were skilled, I apologize. But you look at the flanker, and when he scored that try, and he looked over at Sam Kane and he said to him, you make a shoddy Richie McCaw. He never used the word shoddy. He was playing a mind game with Richie McCaw in that moment. You look at the Welsh under-20s when the Springbok under-20s beat them, and they have their water, and the one Welsh lock walks up and takes the one Springbok player's water from his own section and drinks it. I mean, mind games. You look at, we've even got one, Bucky's water It was normally the physical game, but he moved into the mind game when they played Welsh years ago, and Mark Phillips, this tall scrum half, one meter 92 um, was just thinking we need to get into their faces, so he goes up to... Bucky's, and he said, these spring bucks were monsters. They're all like seven foot tall. And he said to, to Bucky something that I, I can't repeat in this moment. And Bucky's response to him was, oh, you have sexy blue eyes. <laughs> you see, one, one of the enemy's greatest weapons is not to do anything to you, but to say things at you. And he says these things at us, and he says these things around us that come at us. And here's the thing, the enemy's done nothing yet. He hasn't picked up a sword, he hasn't thrown one stone, he hasn't fought one battle. All he's doing is he's spitting words and threats. And you think, well, really, how effective can those be? Remember Elijah who called down fire and wiped out all the prophets of Baal, and then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs for his life and prays that he would die off her words. That's how... Mental battles can rage just through words. But Nehemiah's response shows us how to prepare for that. If if you're finding yourself in a mental battle, listen to Nehemiah 4.13. Therefore, he's saying they threatened me and so this is what I'm going to do. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. Now watch this. At the exposed places. That's where I'm going to station. At the exposed places. post them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And this is a great leadership lesson. Nehemiah is saying, as a leader, we need to identify the weak places and the exposed places, the most vulnerable places. Saying, I walked around the city and I saw here was a place where the enemy could come in. And here was a place where the walls could be broken down. And I want to encourage you as fathers and husbands, that word husband means a house band, means to hold a household together and to surround it and to encompass it. And I want to encourage the wives as well, not just the husbands, that we need to identify the vulnerabilities around those things that we're entrusted with. Our families, our marriage, our children, our work, whatever it might be, our spiritual community and life. And we need to look where those vulnerable areas are. But before we discover the vulnerabilities out there, it often means that we need to get vulnerable in here. And we say, where am I exposed? And we've got to look at areas like, is there lust? We've got to look at areas of, am I being caught up in gossip and running and loving to tell how terrible things are rather than evangelizing, gossiping about the goodness of the good news? Where are we being caught? Are we we withholding? Where are we vulnerable? Where are we exposed? Where is there a weakness where the enemy can come in? And then what we do is we post. We pray, but we post. We position strength in the exposed area. So what happens here is where there is lust, you can say, no, I'm going to start to shift from looking from what I don't have to be grateful for what I do have. I'm gonna not gossip. I'm gonna look at how I can start to speak hope to the hopeless and courage to people's lives. I'm gonna step out of withholding and see how I can partner with generosity to make other people's lives better. And we start to not only recognize where we're weak, but we position strength, kingdom strength in those places. Verse 14, and I, after, I looked, after I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And here's my heart moment. And fight for your families, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your homes. And all the men think, I want to read that verse for George. It's, it's this rallying call that comes here that we see Nehemiah starting to make. But it's after this decision, we see something happening that I want us to pay attention to. Verse 15, when the enemy heard that we were aware of their plot, and that God had frustrated it. We all return to the wall, each to our own work. So the enemy's coming. He wants to. He's got a strategy. He's going to come to the weak areas. Nehemiah says, I know how we're going to meet that. We're going to identify the vulnerabilities, and we're going to position strength in those places. And the enemy sees that. He he realizes everything's worked out. Why? Because we were expecting him to do what he was going to do. And so, nothing happens. He sits back and he's like, there's nowhere I can go with this. There's nothing I can do with it. And I love this because what we see with Nehemiah is he's able to change his approach. He's able to pivot before COVID had made pivoting cool. He's in this place where his strategy had been this, if we remember the beginning of the story, we're going to work wholeheartedly and we're going to just build and work hard. And that got the wall to half its height. But now Nehemiah sees this is a different moment because of the enemy's ploy and strategy, and so he pivots his, his leadership and he says, "We're going to do things from a in a different way from this moment on." Verse sixteen, here's four words that say it: "From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor, and the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah." Who were building the wall. And those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. They had a shovel in one hand, they had a sword in the other. They changed the strategy. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. You know what Nehemiah discovered? He discovered if you work hard and don't prepare, uh, protect yourself, you're going to burn out and the work won't amount to anything. If you're just working hard without protecting yourself, not valuing your health and your mental health and your spiritual vitality. You're going to burn out, and the work that you're applying yourself is not going to accomplish anything. So, so the encouragement I want to bring is this. Never put down your sword while you do hard things. Never put down your sword while you do hard things. Ephesians 6, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. If you're trying to do hard things and you're not spending time in the presence of God, engaging with His word, allowing the Holy Spirit to work, let me say this. You're entering a fight with one hand tied behind your back. We need to be engaging with the word of God, which is the sword, and taking that into the moments which we're facing. And as we look at this, we might find that we're exhausted. We might find we're uh, that we're in the place of discouragement. But because we got God's word, as we heard Lloyd encourage us, we can encourage ourselves. And you might say, hey, no, but I I, I don't have time to get into the word. My day is just too busy. Look at what I'm building. I mean, the walls are half up. That leads you to discouragement and despair. You've got to spend that time with Him. that positions you for the more that he has. Nehemiah 6, verse one, we see this out working. And Nehemiah, what we see is this. Nehemiah's strength came from this. You can't do the hard thing for God without having the strength of God at work in you. And Nehemiah's strength came in that he was dependent on his relationship with God to give him divine strength, supernatural grace to do hard things, even when he didn't see the miracles. He was able to do the work. Nehemiah 6 verse 1. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that i had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, so up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates. So what he's saying is, you know what? We were done, but we weren't done. And here's the thing we need to be reminded of us, that as believers, we can accomplish some great things and there can still be gaps and doors left open for the enemy to come in. Verse two, so Sanbalit Sanballat, Gashem sent me this message. So before they had just sent rumors, then they set threats, now they're sending direct message. And they say, come, let us meet together In one of the villages on the plain of Ono, but they were scheming to harm me. You see, there's discernment operating because he's armed, he's holding on to the sword of the Lord, and he's able to recognize this. Verse 3 So I sent messages to them with this reply I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. So here's the thing. You can expect he's going to harass. He's going to come at you over and over again. Because the fourth thing we need to be aware of is this. If we can put it on the screen. We can expect distraction. Expect distraction. It was rumors. Then it's threats. And then it comes to the point where he's saying, I'm going to distract them. And if he, can, if he can't get you to stop doing the work, he just wants you to get you distracted with other things. If he can't stop you from wanting to build your marriage, he's going to distract you by saying, if you spend more time working, it'll help your marriage. And so he starts to pull your attention off and you start to look at it. and, And he might even give you a false form of success. And you might think, but look how successful I am. But it can be your greatest form of destruction the enemy works in these ways. C.S. Lewis in his book, um, The Screwtape Letters, he mentions this fictional dialogue that's happening between the devil and his demons of how they can stop the purposes of God. And he keeps saying to them, he asks them, have you done this? And they respond, well, this is what's happening. And he says, well, just distract them over and over again. It's just this point. Well, let's just see if you can distract them. And, And Nehemiah keeps his eyes on the prize. How does he do that? Verse 12. It says, I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So he's got the word in his heart. He had something planted in him to enable him to do this hard work with the supernatural grace. And when distraction came, he was able to realize, no, I'm discerning. That's not what God has said to me. That doesn't align. That doesn't ring true. I'm not going to do it. Why would I come away from doing this significant work just to meet with such as you? Because he's able to discern in the moment. And that's how he keeps his eyes focused. And so number one, there was trouble, expect it. Number two, we can expect exhaustion. Number three, we can expect a mental battle. Number four, you can expect distraction. And this, this is the good one. Number five, you can expect a miracle. So I'm contradicting my own title of the message, but you can expect a miracle. Because if you step out with strength given by God to do hard things and you see no miracles, what often happens is as you walk the process with that strength doing those things, you can look back and see he's worked miraculously. I've had the opportunity to go to Israel and to look at the wall around Jerusalem. And you just cannot believe that they did that then in 52 days. It's miraculous. I mean, these walls, the bricks are as big as cars. We actually watched a movie that was displayed on these walls of um, part of uh, Israel's history. It's just phenomenal to see. It's miraculous to see what God was able to do. And maybe God didn't show up and move bricks, but he showed up and moved hearts. And when God shows up and moves the hearts of ordinary men and women, we become miraculous in how we outwork that. And the seed planted in his heart is actually the seed for the miracle to come. And maybe God doesn't, as we've said, do a miracle for you, but he's wanting to do a miracle through you. And if you will step up and step out in the power of God, you become the miracle for others to experience his goodness. And so there's something about partnering with what he's doing, that when there is that concern and you know that he's spoken and you're not allowing yourself to be pulled or distracted in any other way that you can overcome the conflict. And in overcoming the conflict, it produces and it triggers the miracle. And so I want to just finish with this verse that really sums it up. It says in verse 17, Then I said to him, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. So he's saying, Here's the trouble we're in. But then he says, And he's going to reveal what's in his heart Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. But here's the key verse, verse 18. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. And the king had said to me, and what the king had said to me, and they replied, let us start building. Let us partner, let us begin this good work. You see, it wasn't that I was going to, well, Nehemiah is not saying that I could bring about, that I could do it, that it was my wisdom and that it was my plan. No, he planted the seed. God planted the seed. His hand was with me and his grace was with me because you need God's grace and his hand to rest on you if you're going to do hard things. You cannot do it on your own. Without his grace, you're not going to have the strength to be able to build, to be able to fight, to fight to be able to raise teenagers, to be able to build your business, to be able to guide you and direct you in a way that's going to be honoring to God and how you handle your relationship with your spouse. If you don't have God's grace, we fall short. But he says, my hand is on you and my grace is with you. And that is what positions you to see the miracle work. I want to pray. If you just close your eyes for a moment. I think there will be two groups of people here as I was preparing. I just sense that there are those who might be in the middle of a hard thing and you're wondering how you're going to get through this because you're just feeling exhausted and it looks like there's rubble around you and you don't know how to keep building. But there's also people here that you haven't even started. You've got this concern, but you, there's this conflict as well, and you don't know how you will actually get to move forward. And my prayer today is, is I'm not necessarily wanting to say that I believe God is going to supernaturally, miraculously in this moment, show up and do a miracle and fix all those problems. But I do believe, and I am fully convinced and persuaded, that if you recognize, yes, that's where I find myself, that God will show up and he will miraculously deposit his grace in you, that you can walk in a way that becomes the process by which the miracle comes, by which you become that miracle and release that miracle. So Father, I pray for those here today that are finding themselves in one of those two positions. And I just thank you for your hand and your grace to come upon them. I thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate the testimonies of the instant miracle. And Lord, I thank you that we'll get to hear more of those testimonies next week as they take place today. But I also pray, Lord, that we'll get to hear and see the display of just the miraculous power of your kingdom at work through men and women who are walking the walk faithfully in process and who are becoming the miracle that bless others. And I pray, Lord, that as a house, we would be such a house, a house of miracles that blesses the community in which we played, that we'll be able to do the hard things, even when we don't see the momentary breakthrough, because we know that your kingdom is advancing. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say amen.